The boys of summer are at spring training. And they're going to soon begin swinging for the fences. Like that. You see the ball? Woo! And now they tell you the, the, the speed of the missile as it comes off the bat. But while looking for the big hit, the batter may himself, ah, ouch. He knows it's coming. You see him starting to grimace. He might get hit. And if his pitcher, if this guy's pitcher, who's sitting on the bench right now, if he deems that intentional, what kind of pitch do you think he's going to throw when he takes them out? <laughs> The time-honored beanball, which can result in a bench-clearing brawl. It's baseball, right? But it also betrays something deep in our fallen nature. (laughs) That's because it invokes the most ancient law recorded outside the Bible, referred to as Lex Talionis, Uh, The law of retaliation, also known as the law of an eye for an eye, also known as the law of beanball for (laughs) beanball. Sir Francis Bacon calls it a wild justice and offers this more noble response. Revenge is a kind of wild justice. Certainly in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy, But in passing over it, he is superior. For it is a prince's part to pardon. And you think, ah, yeah, but it's not as satisfying. (laughs) You know, to pay back. And and usually it's not just even, but a lot, you know, a little more. We know this is true, that it's a prince's part to pardon, because that's exactly what the Prince of Peace has done for us. He has passed over our iniquities by paying the penalty of our sin with his own blood. While we were his enemies, Romans 5 verse 8, while we were his enemies, he died for us. And now he lives to pardon all those who trust in him. That's the good news. That's that's the gospel that we love. But he doesn't stop there. All those he's pardoned, he sets about to transform. That's what the beauty of the Christian life. We're on this journey of being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ by degrees so that we think more like him. We speak more like him. We act more like him. And we never look more like him than when we go above and above and beyond that call of nature to execute some wild justice and instead love our enemies. This is Jesus' message in today's passage from the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. If you have a Bible, please turn there. We like to look at it as well as hear it read. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. 
You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt as your tunic, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to walk one mile, that's what a Roman soldier could do that. He had the authority to make a Jew pick up his pack and carry it a mile. He says, if anyone makes you go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Well, several places in the Old Testament, uh, you will find this eye for eye uh, admonition. It's a guideline for the magistrates, for the judges. But it was never given as a requirement that if someone poked your eye out, now you had to poke his eye out. It was given as a way to limit what the injured party could claim in, in compensation. Again, because if someone does something to us, we not only want to do the same to him, we want to do a little more, right? It's a you sinners. <laughs> it is part of our sin nature. Jesus tells his disciples, disciples they should live by a higher law, the law of love. I just love this about Christ. And it manifests itself, this law of love, in a spirit of non-resentment or non-retaliation. If I was to smite you on your right cheek, how would I do it? In fact, do you have any volunteers? (laughs) If If I'm looking at someone, their right cheek is over here on my left side. And I, like most people, am right-handed. So how would I... How would I do it? I, it would be a backhand, my weak hand. Anybody play tennis? It would have been my weaker hand inflicting much more injury, uh, insult than injury, right? That was, that was a sign of insult. Think of how this principle of non-retaliation lived out by Jesus in his life. He who was slandered as a glutton. They called him a drunkard. They called him a bastard, an illegitimate child. They called him a blasphemer and on and on. Though mercilessly insulted, he never struck back in like kind. You won't find that in Scripture. Actually, none of the impositions mentioned in this passage that I just read our life-altering, the giving of our shirt, the walking of a mile, the borrowing of some item. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, his followers, is that they are to, not to live by the law of the jungle. In other words, we are not to return evil for evil. We must be willing to sacrifice. And who likes sacrificing today, you know, during this Lenten season? We typically give something up, or it is the practice of many believers. We must be willing to sacrifice our pride, our property, and liberty where we can truly help others without injury to ourselves. We are always to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
right? Even though our neighbor might not be a nice guy. Many people would consider Vladimir Putin not a nice guy. As he attempts to annex his neighbors and bring Russia back to her glory days. So is Jesus telling Ukraine to roll over like France's government at the uh, onset of World War II? Until the Third Reich is doing goose steps down the Champs-Élysées? When Jesus says, do not resist him who is evil, verse 39, he's not telling them to get rid of their police department or their armed forces. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not a mechanical code of ethics. The law is spiritual and should govern our attitude, the attitude of our hearts, above and beyond any literal interpretation. In Romans 13, 4, it says that the armed forces of a good government do not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. When the U.S. supplies swords to Ukraine, the intent is to help the world live more securely, more peaceably, by resisting an insatiable bully, which is why I think you could call those supporting Ukraine peacemakers. That's the end game. That's, that's the desire of their heart. That word, peacemaker, is found in the seventh beatitude, verse 9 of our chapter, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be attached to God and part of his forever family and blessed by him. To which William Barclay points out, the blessing is on the peacemakers, not necessarily the peace lovers like France in World War II. It very often happens that if a man loves peace in the wrong way, he succeeds in making trouble and not peace. We may, for instance, allow a threatening and dangerous situation to develop, and our defense is that for peace's sake, we do not want to take any action. There is... There is many a person who thinks that he is loving peace when in fact he is piling up trouble for the future. Because he refuses to face the situation and to take action which the situation demands. The peace which the Bible calls blessed does not come from the evasion of issues. It comes from facing them, dealing with them, and conquering them. What this beatitude demands is not the passive acceptance of things because we are afraid of the trouble of doing anything about them, but the active facing of things and the making of peace, even when the way to peace is through struggle. The church that meets after us here in the afternoon, it's made up of Russians and Ukrainians sitting side by side, loving each other, even though their countries are at war because they found peace with God. 
It is the soul-satisfying peace that enables us to turn enemies into friends. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? They're like the most you know, reprobate people of society. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles or the unbelievers do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, He's referring to what people heard from the mouth of the Pharisees. It was a Pharisaical teaching. There was the admonition in the Old Testament to love your neighbor. That part was true, but nowhere will you find in the Bible the addendum put there by the Pharisees to hate their neighbor. That was an add-on by the religious leaders. Bible commentator Matthew Poole writes, they generally looked upon all the uncircumcised, that is, all the other people groups. They were the nation of Israel, and then they looked upon all the uncircumcised of the other people groups as not their neighbors, but their enemies, whom the precept did not oblige them to love. I'm going to read what Sharon Wells, new to the area and a person of color, wrote uh, after attending our service last week. Worshiping with the members of Calvary Chapel Eastside was a pleasure and offered a very intimate atmosphere. I appreciate the diversity and how absolutely friendly and accepting the members are. The who are? The member, that's you, baby. This is on you. I will definitely attend again. I can't tell you how proud I am of the diversity that we have at this church. It truly is a slice of heaven where we will find every tribe and tongue represented. Keep it up, saints. Mr. Wong He's part of our, our ESL class uh, on Wednesday night. He texted me this week, your phone number is the phone number of my first foreign friend. I am very happy. <laughs> you know, I am very happy. He has no idea how happy he made me. He now, he's, he's off back to China, he's, he's this amazing artist, and he teaches in Beijing, so he'll be there for two months, but he, he left with a Bible app on his phone, 
And I encouraged him where, where he can read it in Mandarin in his own language. And I, and I said, start with John, Gospel of John, and let's see what God might do. You know, in cases like this, I, I can relate to Paul where he says, um, you know, I have, I have become all things to all men in order that I might win some for Christ. Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, that Pharisee, who probably was one of the guys that said, hey, you need to love your neighbors and hate your friends, you know? He might have participated in that teaching. He was a Pharisee. He hated anybody outside of his circle. He had trouble with those inside his circle. He was a contrarian. He was a tough cookie. But God said, you're going to the Gentiles, boy. <laughs> you'll see how much you'll suffer for my name's sake. Because your own brethren will not accept. You're opening the door to the unbeliever, the uncircumcised but you're the man I've chosen for this job. And he goes on to say, I've become all things to all people that I might win some to faith in Christ, home in heaven. Pray for Mr. Wong. I mean, all our people in our um, ESL class are so precious. This radical faction, this group of Pharisees uh, within Judaism considered those outside of God's uh, covenant people as enemies. But Jesus says, we must love all people, people, even our real enemies, even those that, that actually hate us. <laughs> and pray for those who persecute us. For only then do we begin to really resemble our Father in heaven. God is gracious toward those who even hate him who slap his generous hand of provision away and say, no, I'll do it my way. Yeah, Frank Sinatra sang about that. God loved Frank. And, and okay, the, here, verse 47, uh, 45, excuse me, for he causes his son. I love that. He didn't say the son. <laughs> it's his son. It's not some self-existent fiery orb that just kind of accidentally emerged out of ether. It's his son. It was his idea, and it was his creative power that created it and sustains it today. Without it, we all die. It says... For he causes his son, verse 45, to, to rise upon the evil and the good and sends rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, he allows those who even turn their back on him to prosper through a bountiful harvest. Spurgeon writes, and really, he was just one of a kind, this prince of pre preachers, he says this. As though he did not regard human character at all, God bids his son shine on good and bad. As though 
he did not know that any men were vile. He bids the shower descend on just and unjust. Yet he does know, for he is no blind deity. He does know, and he knows when his sun shines on yonder miser's acres, that it is bringing forth a harvest for a churl. Do you have any churls in the house? That's not an ethnic group. That's just a mean-spirited person. He does it deliberately. When the rain is falling yonder upon the oppressor's crops, he knows that the oppressor will be richer for it and means that he should be. He is doing nothing by mistake and nothing without a purpose. (laughs) What does God say to us when he acts thus? I believe that he says this. This is the day of free grace. This is the time of mercy. That's exactly what he's saying. The hour for judgment is not yet when he will separate between the good and the bad, when he will mount the judgment seat and award different portions to the righteous and to the wicked. But now is the, is the age of grace where God's mercy is poured out upon the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And the only, the only just that populate this planet are those who have been acquitted. That's justified, acquitted from all charges because of our faith in Jesus Christ. No one, no one is good, not in their nature. Many Christians have an uneasy feeling about Islam. Largely because of its violent factions. But we do well to remember it was God's blessing upon Ishmael that guaranteed a fruitful future for Ishmael on this planet. Because he was a product of unbelief, he lay outside God's covenant people. You remember where Ishmael came from? God promised Abraham and Sarah, even though they were way past child-rearing age, that he would provide through their bodies a child, a promised child, that through them would come a, a nation and a Messiah, a Savior of the world. It's going to be good through your promised child. But they got tired of waiting. So Sarah took her Egyptian handmaid and said, hey, here, let's, let's use her as a substitute. Have a child with her, and we'll help God out. And they named him Ishmael. But it was a product of unbelief. They weren't waiting for God to provide in his time and in his way. They took things into his own, their own hands and tried to manipulate circumstances. And yet, and, and know this, Abraham loved Ishmael. This man had waited like a century to have a child. And finally, here's Ishmael. And he loved Ishmael. And so when God tells him he's out, he's not part of this equation. Abraham was heartbroken, but he comforts Abraham. God comforts Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 20. He says, 
As for Ishmael, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly and he shall become a father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Today, Ishmael is the father of the great Arab Muslim nations of the Middle East sitting upon the greatest oil reserves on the planet. Not by accident. Anybody have trouble with that? It's the Muslim world that surrounds Israel that are constantly trying to erase them from the map, force them into the ocean, annihilate them. God's chosen people. So he says, I'm going to make them a great nation. But the very next verse says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Because God can only accept on a basis of grace, unmerited favor. It's a free gift of God through faith. It's nothing we can work for. Nothing we can manufacture. So a right standing with God is a gift imputed to us the moment we believe. That's the good news. But in a very real sense, it's only the beginning. I've already mentioned this. Because with God, God's acceptance comes God's presence. And it's not something stagnant in our lives that would leave us unchanged. He desires to transform us from degree to degree into the image of Jesus. And we never resemble Christ more than when we love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. Who does that? Nobody except the believer. The believer that is obedient to Christ's command here. But it's so contrary to our nature that no one would do it. They have no reason to do it. We do, who want to emulate our great God and Savior, we have plenty of motivation. We have received so much from God. As temples of the living God, Our love for others should go above and beyond that of the world's, above and beyond those who are devoid of his spirit. We shouldn't expect them to act like this. God has not enabled them to. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? If you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? If we are to be called children of God, we ought to do more than others. We ought to reflect the gracious, selfless love of our Heavenly Father. Is God calling us to love an unfaithful spouse? If you missed last week's message, talked a lot about marital relationships. Talked about what it is to live together as one and the challenges and, and, and divorce. Please go back. It's archived online. 
Thank you guys for doing that. They've edited it. It's online. Is God calling us to love an unfaithful spouse? If you were here last week, you know the answer is yes. Is God calling us to love an insulting neighbor or workmate? Yes. Is God calling us to love a ruthless warmonger? Ooh, well done. That was kind of t- timid there, a little bit tepid, but yes. But the word for love that Jesus uses is important. When he commands us to love our enemies, it's not the warm, familial, or brotherly kind of love. For our emotions, to a large degree, um, you know, they're beyond our will. But the word that Jesus uses is agape. It means to choose for another, another's highest good. The operative word is choose. We have a choice. It's an act of will, in other words, to choose to love. It's independent of my emotions. I'm not a slave to my emotions. Are you a slave to your emotions? Oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, yeah, your love goes where it goes, and I just had to lust after so-and-so. We choose. And we can choose for another's highest good. That's agape. That's divine love. If you've been jilted, mistreated, offended, insulted, beanballed, don't seek revenge. Don't let bitterness or hatred poison your heart. You're the one that will suffer. Draw near to God for comfort and strength. Let him take the sword out of your hand. And then ask him to rescue the one who has hurt you. That's, that's, that's how you finish off. You don't just say, hey, you know, help me uh, not, to, not to hate this person. But I want you to bless them. If you can do that, the tentacles of bitterness have no hope of choking out your life in Christ. In this way, we fulfill God's will for our lives by reflecting his nature in going above and beyond the call of nature in an otherworldly display of love for others. That's it. That's why we're here. May God help us to fulfill this precious command. You've heard others say, but I say to you, do it my way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I I like your way. It's challenging. It's sobering. And it is impossible apart from your strength. You, you, You animating me by the spirit of the living God, which dwells in my mortal body. But I see your plan. The the mystery is revealed here. 
You desire the world to see what you look like through us. That they might know that you're real and that you're good and that they might come to you. You say that you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and live. The reason you're slow about this coming again and, and taking that seat upon the throne of judgment because you want everyone to repent. That's your heart. And that's, that's the business you've given us. To be about, to be about your business. If you have not opened your heart to Christ, I want to pray with you. I mean, you're, you're in this room or you're hearing this online um, because he's in it. He's part of this whole equation. He's drawing you to himself. And I'd like you to pray with me, to open your heart to him. Let him in. Let him start, you know, rearranging the furniture in your heart and cleaning out some closets and just putting some things in order as only he can. But I also want to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who today understand they've, uh, they've been living by uh, Lex Talianos, the law of retaliation. And they've hardened their heart towards certain people who have abused them in some way, disrespected them, insulted them in some way. And today is the day I believe God would have you let go of that. You would, you would allow him to take the sword out of your hand. I want to pray for you too. Just say with me, both groups, let's go to God. Say, Father, thank you for sending Christ to bear in his body my sin upon the cross. Thank you for the, the steadfastness of your love that never ceases then your mercies are new every morning. That's who you are. And I open my heart to you now. I, I surrender my life to you and ask you, be my great God and Savior. Come and rule and reign in my heart. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ as well, Lord, those of us who maybe have harbored resentment towards someone. I mean, we insult each other on a daily basis, practically, it seems. It's very easy to allow resentment to fester, but that is the ploy of the devil, the enemy who would love to just squeeze your life out of us. But we actually, today, we say, God, here, take the sword out of my hand and bless the person who has offended me Bless them. Bless them in every way. I pray that they would sense your nearness and, and, be, and just be comforted by you. Uh, that you would just bless the work of their hand. You would just bless, their bless them in all ways. And draw them to yourself, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer and setting me free. Be glorified in my body. That is my bottom line request. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.